Welcome back to the Schaefer's Market Mashup. Did you miss me? I've been getting some fun stuff together to close down a wild, wild year. Pleased to bring you part one of our market mashup mashup, I guess you want to call it. It's a 2021 medley of all my favorite moments with guests this year. Uh, but first, I want to start with a huge shout out to everyone that's hopped on the pod this year. Tasty Trades, Tony Batista and Jamal Chandler, my friends over at SIBO Global Markets, Lee Drogan, Adam Warner and his Mets, his woeful, woeful Mets. Don Fishback, our very own Chris Pribel, even though he ducked me for a round of golf earlier this fall. Dave Cofton, Joe Decipio, Joe Tige, everybody else. You guys made this year so enlightening and entertaining, and thank you so much. I put these clips together to not only give a snapshot of the year's progress and the various storylines that might have fallen by the wayside, but also to highlight some of the investment and options trading advice that's been offered up in the last year. It's all gold. It was a blast to put this together and hear everything. Part one features episodes from January of 2021 to the end of May. In part two, we'll close out the final portion of the year and will be aired sometime next week. Thanks again, everyone. And don't forget to check, check out shafersresearch.com where we have dozens of options trading subscriptions to try out. We're also pumping out free newsletters. Our Twitter is active. We're working on boosting our video capabilities, you name it. It's going to be an exciting 2022. And on that note, I do want to plug our special top stock picks for 2022 report. We had our traders outline some of their top picks for the new year. Hit the link in this episode's bio to subscribe and it'll get dropped right into your inbox for free. I can't think of a better way to start 22 than with some exciting stock picks to watch over the next 12 months. Okay, let's get to it. Let's start with a January 28th episode with our very own senior market strategist, Chris Pribel. Chris was fresh off two GameStop trades that netted returns of 706 and 655% respectively. I found his comments about the context of meme stocks plus what he was looking at for 2021 very interesting. And I have never seen something like this happen before. You know, you're a seasoned veteran trader. It has, has Is there any context in history that we can look back on and possibly learn from about like where we're going next, considering what just happened? 99 and 2000, when I was growing up, there were dot-com stocks that they'd file for an IPO, they'd begin trading and they'd go up 100% in mm. one day. That, it it kind of reminds me of that. Option trading was not um, as prevalent then. Today, you have a lot more option volume, which can influence the stock price more. So you, you've got that dynamic of the low commissions. You've got retail traders. They inherently are usually long only to begin. Yep. But they're learning how to trade options at a frequent rate, and they like them because they can get out. Get in and get out the same day. You can, you know, you got a lot of flexibility, as you know. Of course, uh, that has amplified the effect. So, to answer your question, yes, but honestly, no. <laughs> Are you watching these trends and trying to formulate your trading strategy for twenty twenty one? One into twenty twenty one, I I kind of 
thematic approach to it. Uh, uh, kind of segregated companies into certain sectors or industries. And I'll, I'll share with you some of them. Obviously, carbon capture with Biden and the green energy push, yep. uh, solar power, um, anything like that. It, I think it's going to do well just because of the flood of money going into it. There's going to be technology advances, things we don't even know are possible are going to happen. And, you know, a couple of years from now, we, we're probably going to live in a different world than we are now. And it's due to these companies. Uh, you could go into 5G. There are a lot of companies in 5G that I like. You could go into 3D printing. There are 3D printing companies that are revolutionizing the world. With GameStop, you could just look at gaming companies. I know you like DraftKings from previous episodes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> background, esports. Esports gambling is a huge business. Uh, marijuana legalization that's gonna that's gonna happen this year across the country uh, any type of reopening trade you got bitcoin mining and then probably the biggest one of all is revolution in genomics this covid kind of put people under the microscope instead of like rna sequencing and they sped up the development and that's going to benefit us us all, whether it's cancer research or a plague we don't know about, we're going to be better prepared to handle it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, I mean, it, it's, it's always fun. That's that's why this trading game, it's very exciting. I'm glad I do this. I wouldn't do anything else. But at times, you can be humiliated by your <laughs> own winners. I mean, it, it's it's an exhausting game. But how else to make money? A week later, Tasty Trades' Tony Batista checks in once more. The conversation is about meme stocks. I asked Tony about how you can manage this volatility as an options trader, and I really love his answer. I want to expand on that. What can options traders do to navigate this new terrain we find ourselves in? Uh, for example, when you when we first talked, we mentioned volatility a lot, about how that, that can be your greatest tool. Is that still the case? Oh, oh, I think so. And, and it's a double-edged sword too, right? Like I know, I know GME is the big one to talk about, but AMC, uh, BlackBerry, all of these uh, stocks, if you got into them early by selling volatility, which is what I like to do, mm-hmm. you had an uphill battle for you know three or four days. And then for two or three days, you really reaped a lot of those benefits. So it all comes down to size. I, we always talk about trading small and trading often. It really, I mean, size kills. Melvin Capital, size killed. Um, everybody who got hurt on any trade, it all came down to size. If you trade small enough, you really can sustain just about anything. Okay. What specific strategies do you can you foresee being utilized going forward? So I, I think, um, you know, again, in a, in a smaller price stock, $5, $10, $15 stock, you know, I don't think that helps the general public to learn how to trade because it's relatively cheap enough that they could just say, I'm going to buy stock. Mm -hmm. And stock is a great bang for your buck when it's a $5, $1, $15 stock. But when it gets to be a $100 or $200 stock or in GameStop, you know, $400 stock at one time, all of a sudden the product gets so big that you can't participate. So you've got to go to the option. I think you have to go to the option world to kind of be strategic and, and put some sort of math model behind the trade as opposed to just, you know, all long, all short. 
Sebo's Henry Schwartz comes on for a February 9th episode about post-election volatility. Really loved how he got into the psychology of options strategy here. <laughs> Some great advice, especially uh, the pretty funny metaphor at the end. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's crucial. Like you know, trading is uh, is fun, um, <laughs> but you know, it needs to be approached. You know, people need to be very smart about how they manage their money and. Um, you know, I mean, you, you know, every trade has a risk and a reward. And if you think about it that way and you got to, you have to have a plan and there's, you know, you have to, you have to size your bets, you know, you know, accordingly and intelligently and like, you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, I don't know what to say. It's, it's, you know, the emotional part, the psychological part is it's, it's a tough business. And that's why, um, most people, most people, struggle and you know if, if a bunch of option traders and you know, by a bunch i mean hundreds of thousands of new accounts over the last year have gotten into options and had some success and figured out uh how to make some money that's awesome but it you better you, you have to be able to tell luck from uh some intelligent you know strategy and not you know not fall into so many of the trap traps that uh, that people fall into in terms of um, making trades, uh, you know, that it's learn to use the tools, I guess, is, is you know, the, the most important thing um, because uh, they can, you know, they're incredibly flexible options, let you, uh, you know, position yourself and limit risk and specify a time horizon and trade volatility and direction and time decay and everything else. Um uh, but you, but you got to figure out how to handle all those little pieces of that puzzle. And, you know, some of the recent, you know, the GameStop type of activity we've seen, you know, the last few weeks, like that's an incredible learning experience for like how things can go and what bizarro um, outliers can, can impact activity. I mean, even just looking at halls, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you make a trade and you're kind of ex- assuming you'll be able to, trade continuously you're assuming your brokerage platform is not going to freeze up um you know that you're going to be able to sell it in the morning if a stock gaps up you know 10 or 15 percent and then all of a sudden you're like oh man there are there are things that happen that make that really difficult like like i mean i can tell you from personal experience there you know the, the amount of activity this month last month um was so extreme like january biggest month you know in history mm-hmm. Uh, it creates so much market data traffic that a lot of platforms have real tough times. I mean, they have outages. Um, even some of the biggest ones, you know, um, this, the platforms are, are are impacted. And all of a sudden, you, there's a risk there you probably didn't think about, right? Is, is oh, gee, will I be able to close this trade when uh, if the stock goes to $10? It's like, well, you you, you should be able to, but... Just keep in mind weird things happen, and um, that's what I mean. This month has been, you know, this this little period has been an awesome kind of learning experience. And like, there's just examples all over the place. You know, what happens in hard to borrow stocks and early assignments, and um, you know, can volatility go to 600, 700, 800? Well, it sure can. <laughs> Doesn't happen very often, but you just seen it. <laughs> never say never. Uh, so. Um, you know, I think that's what's been, 
you know, really kind of amazing. And, you know, for the, the, you know, self-directed retail trading, you know, community out there, it's important to know what you're doing because, um, you know, I think options are, you know, derivatives are kind of like a chainsaw, like incredible tool. It can do a lot. You know, you just don't want to drop it on your leg. I like that. Yeah. You hear that, everybody? Don't drop the chainsaw on your leg. (laughs) We closed February with Adam Warner's first of hopefully many episodes. We talk about the role of social media in investing and how to filter out good data from bad. The role in social media and in retail investing, given the, you know, I guess 2021, it really is when it really blew up. How does one kind of separate the, you know, the real from the fake? Um, that's a good question. You know, as a general rule, if someone's putting their name behind it and putting actual, you know, putting actual pics or, or advice in real time, you know, that, that, that stuff's good. You, you, got, you always got to watch out for, like, people that put out just the winners, you know, and just try to show you how good they've done. And, you know, it's hard to trust. I don't want to use this as a total blanket rule, but when someone's not putting their actual name behind it, no, it's good. The, 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 I, I think it, I think it creates a higher bar. I understand some people just can't for you know maybe regulatory reasons yeah. or for some for, for some other reason. But um, I, I just think you should have a higher bar if the person's not attaching their name or attaching you know real time numbers and trades and whatnot. So it, it's dangerous because I, I think you know, like you said, with the GameStop, you know, this that was a winner, but you know, no one talks about you know the countless ones where. You know, they piled people <laughs> like bad ideas. They'll pile in at the top and piled out at the bottom. And I would just recommend being careful. Just look at people you who have a track record. On March 5th, CBO's Rick Rosenthal and Aaron Risk Advisors Joe DeCipio joined me for a small cap discussion about the RUT. This particular segment talks about their relation to inflation and leverage volatility. It's not a new phenomenon that the performance of small cap versus large cap uh, tracks inflation expectations. Uh, 2020 is a perfect example of that. Uh, Joe, do you want to unpack that a little bit and then Rick can go? Yeah, I just think for some of these smaller cap names, they, you know, as Rick pointed out, they tend to be highly leveraged. And if you're going to be highly leveraged in inflation, uh, you know, potentially could be a benefit to you if you're a if you're a borrower, right? Because I still have to pay back 100 cents on a dollar. Mm-hmm. I just get to pay back with cheaper and cheaper money. So that may be one reason why the small cap small small cap space has benefited a bit from this uh, this uh, presumption that inflation is going to pick up. Now, of course, uh, Chairman Jerome Powell of the Federal Reserve would argue. That any type of inflationary expectation that people have is going to be short-lived, mm-hmm. and don't get too excited about it, as the Fed is not. Uh, so I would just be a little bit cautious in that regard. Okay. Uh, so to jump in, you know, today non-farm payroll came out. It rose by three hundred seventy-nine thousand. Most of that were jobs created by smaller companies. If you look at what's happened to the ten-year Treasury, it's up by almost a half a percent year to date. And that's despite the fact that the Fed has announced their plans to keep rates low. Mm-hmm. So combination of, you know, rates going higher, jobless, uh, non-farm payroll going up, uh, there's a lot of anticipation that we're going to see a rapid economic recovery. And during that 
during an acu- and a rapid economic recovery, small caps tend to outperform. And uh, we're, we're expecting to see that, uh, and we're seeing that with the outperformance of the Russell 2000 year-to-date. Um, inflationary uh, pressures will, will impact sectors differently, and the large weightings uh, for the Russell 2000 happen to be in healthcare, uh, consumer discretionary, industrials, and financials. And these four sectors are, are sensitive to uh, interest rates. Um, so the low rate environment has been helpful for healthcare um, and, dis- and consumer discretionary. Ironically, when you have a rising interest rate, that, that's very beneficial to the financial sector. So it's almost like the perfect storm for the Russell 2000 right now. This March 12th episode features Don Fishback. The probability icon details his models and their efficacy towards scheduled and non-scheduled events within a market ecosystem. I loved this episode. It was a very fresh perspective compared to everyone else I've had on. Uh, One of my favorites from the year. Now I want to fast forward because lots of things happened since 1996, of course. You think .com, 2008, and now we're in the pandemic. How are these probability models correlated to scheduled and unscheduled events like we've had in the you know in the past 20 years uh and, and what are some more recent examples of how that's changed really in the, in the last yeah, decade that's that's a really good that's a really good point and um so the, the problem if you look at a bell curve you'll see mm-hmm. that it it's bunched up at the top and then as you get further towards either end, it gets smoother and smoother yep. and lower and lower. And so if you say, okay, the probability is the area under the bell curve, well, if you go very far out at either end, the area under those ends is tiny, tiny, tiny. Yes. So it's extremely small. So that's where you get this uh, concept of of fat tails is what it's called, or as Taylor would say, the black swan, where you get these these aberration events, like a, a five standard deviation should happen once every 5,000 years. Mm-hmm. And yet, we're seeing five standard deviation moves at GameStop exactly. day after day, right? Exactly. Well, how can something that's supposed to happen every 5,000 years happen back to back? And it's not just that. You look at the, the bond market, the the 30-year bond is down, I think it's down like 25% year to date. Mm-hmm. The, it, so, or it's down 25% from its peak, at least. That Those kinds of moves, and in 2008, you were getting, you were getting seven standard deviation moves in like three days in a row. Yeah. Well, that's like, that, that shouldn't happen. Yeah. That's like, should happen. I mean, you think five thousand years—that's longer than civilization. <laughs> so these things should have these things should happen once in civilized humanity's existence, and they're happening. They've already happened a few yeah. times this year, and it's 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 not like we're in some special time. You know, the, nothing has changed. So we, the, the the way we model these things and measure them has to change. Yes, that's right. When you start using real world behavior. You start to see where the the models break down, and you can 
the, the, the advantage that the real world probabilities give you in which the valuations are based on those real world probabilities, you take into consideration those fat tails. So you don't say a seven standard deviation event should happen once in the history of civilization. You say, how many times did it happen? Mm -hmm. We've gotten the seven standard deviation move 30 times in the last 20 years. Then take that into consideration. And I think that's so much easier for a retail investor to wrap their head around. Is it not? Yes, it is because the, the formulas have certain advantages and they had they had their time what we do is not is not hard mm-hmm. but it's very data intensive i mean we're talking about petabytes of data and that that is something that you could not have done i mean terabytes of data would have been impossible for anybody to have done back in the in the 1970s yeah, impossible to so, conceptualize really yeah, it so, but now that the technology is caught up and surpassed it, I mean, we build our, to do this stuff, we build our own computers, and we use uh, video game cards from NVIDIA, mm-hmm. because they are really good at crunching numbers. Well, you know, cards like that, they're $150 now, or $500, yes. they didn't even exist 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. This March Madness Roundtable is all about bond yields, featuring Jane Street's Dave Cofton and SIBO's Dennis O'Callaghan and David Litchfield. Some insightful interest rate comments here from everybody, especially now, given the last nine months and what we could be looking at into 2022. What specific strategy do you think has evolved in the past 12 months and where do you see that going possibly in the next 12 months? Volumes have definitely grown, uh, but it's it's really been like a broadening out of strategies. Mm-hmm. When, uh, when, when I was on the pod last time, we were talking about the election. It was all about event trading, exactly. uh, what we called event vol, yep. and, and how people were using SPX options to speculate and trade the event of, of the election and, and how you can kind of back out an implied move. With today's Fed meeting, it's really no different. Uh, you can accept in S, it might not be SPX that you want to focus on. It might be TLTs. That that is definitely kind of the the most direct uh, security when you're talking about the impact of interest rates. So people are bidding up these TLT options. Um, at last check, the at the money straddle in, in TLT is about two percent of the spot price. Um, now that expires this Friday. So if an investor buys that today, mm-hmm. they need an excess move of two percent. In the Treasury ETF to show a profit between now midday Wednesday and Friday, uh, that's a pretty substantial move for Treasuries, and that really shows you the respect the market has given this Fed meeting. Yes. So definitely a lot of event strategies um, mentioned earlier, just in terms of the bang for the buck and just outright puts. Um, people have used uh, outright put strategies in, in credit ETFs over the past year. Put spreads uh, definitely have, have been adopted in, in mass. We're seeing some of the larger trades that you'll see in the products for put spreads. That's when an uh, investor is buying like a near the money put and writing a further out of the money put. And they're, they're cheapening their, their cost, defraying some of that cost by writing the downside put while still getting protection over a range of outcomes, just maybe not the tail outcome. Um, and then as the markets evolved, you know, 
these are all long vol trades I'm kind of talking about so far, but but you'll see short vol trades. Uh, if an uh, investor thinks, listen, I think this has kind of gone too far, and I think rates might be range-bound for mm-hmm. a time, uh, maybe I should look at selling a straddle or selling a strangle, collecting that premium. Now with, with yields as high as they are and the move that we've made, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we saw put riders coming in, you know, thinking bond prices may have found some sort of low for now, that yields may, may have found a high. Def, definitely could see short ball trades like that. And then finally, some of, some of the option trades that we see really aren't volatility trades at all. Um, kind of think of them as funding trades or, or synthetic trades, but borrowing the shares um, historically in credit ETFs hasn't always been the easiest, particularly a, a year plus ago. And um, in in stocks like HYG, ETFs like HYG. So investors can can kind of replicate short exposure by buying a put and selling a call with the same strike price. And that that's not really a play on volatility. That's really saying, how can I use options to, to replicate a short? Um, and more recently, the borrow has become a little constrained again, and, and we've seen more, uh, more volume kind of executing that trade. The next episode was recorded on the one-year anniversary of the big VIX spike in 2020 that featured the onset of the coronavirus pandemic, which we're still in. Joe Tigay of Equity Armor Investments and SIBO's Kevin Davitt talk bull bear market cycles, which seems pretty relevant right now. Yeah, we love to, to pinpoint dates, right? I think that's a natural inclination. Mm-hmm. There's probably a couple of ways that you could answer it from a technical perspective. The kind of 2009 to 2020 bull market run ended in March of last year. Now, from a purist standpoint, if you get a 20% move lower in the broad market on on a closing basis, textbooks will refer to it as a bear market. But as I alluded to a minute ago, this bear market was unlike any other the last two technical bear markets ended in March of 2009 and October of 2002. Those took 517 days and 929 calendar days to play out. The 2020 version took 33 calendar days. So back to your point, if your primary concern or risk is price, then a new bull market began on March 23rd of last year, and it's just over a year old. Joe and I are both kind of focused on derivative markets and volatility, which is a critical component with respect to things like futures and options, those tools. And I imagine we'll get to those or to viewing the market through that lens shortly. But from a letter of the law standpoint, bull and bear markets are defined by 20% closing moves higher or lower. Wonderful. Wonderful. Joe, what do you got? When it comes to uh, just that that stretch, uh, we all, we have obviously focus on the VIX a lot, um, and the VIX sometimes is a leading indicator or an indicator. Uh, and I notice when the market bottoms and the VIX peaks at the same time, uh, that can be a change in sentiment. Of course, that happened in March. Of course, that happened a lot faster uh, than uh, historically it's happened. But when we saw the market recovering and the VIX making a lower low and the market making a new relative high, uh, you know, and I'm talking about the VIX coming down into the 50s and the market uh, coming off of that 35% drop up, you know, down to only 25%, uh, that we could have said was, okay, now we're in a new era. Um, but 
again, that's only it was only known in hindsight. We didn't know it when it was actually peaking. So, um, so that's just kind of the uncertainty of it and uh, what happened with Vault. Lee Drogan is the guest on this April 13th episode. He's the founder and CEO of Estimize, and he takes me to school on earnings trends. How, how does one, or like, what did you guys learn when reading the tea leaves on these earning trends? And can you walk me through kind of like the guidelines of that, that, that someone should use when trying to read and unpack these earnings trends? Yeah, absolutely. So there are two ways to think about uh, playing around earnings. Um, one of them is kind of a more discretionary, you know, I really like this stock. It's a holding of mine, but I want to understand if I should get heavier or lighter in the name, or I want to understand if it's, you know, a major risk to me if I have a really high position, really, you know, really heavy position in either direction going into the announcement. The other way to think about it is from a purely kind of quantitative perspective, which is, is there alpha to be picked up? by short-term trading in a lot of different names throughout a quarter to capture some arbitrage. Yes. Adam Warner's back for a May 14th episode about the VIX. It's a back-to-basics conversation that really helped me understand what's behind the VIX spike, the volatility involved, and how a trader can possibly exploit it for their benefit. They come across an article and they say, you know, the fear gauge hit its highest level since March as the rest of the market is selling off. Uh, what does that tell a retail investor? Uh, generally speaking, I mean, the VIX, you know, they nickname it the fear gauge. It's, it's an index of the, vol- the volatility of um, index options, basically. And it moves inverse to the market. So, you know, that's the, um, S&P goes up, VIX tends to drift down, S&P goes down, VIX tends to inch up. But, you know, S&P is moving down a bit faster this week. So the VIX is going to go up. It's just really a question of magnitude. And sometimes it's a, it's useful when it kind of overreacts to a, a market move. And that's a bit what we've had this week. It's um, it, it, and from bottom to top. Let's see, it's up about 10 points. And so that's, you know, like 60% or so. You know, like, mm-hmm. It's a little dangerous using percentages because um, it's, you know, often a low number, but it, that's still, that's a pretty big move. I like to look at it as um, versus its moving average and 10 day moving average. And he's, it used to be that when it got about 20% over the 10-day moving average, that was somewhat of a bullish signal because it kind of meant that options were getting a little too fearful. Mm-hmm. But this week, it um, on close yesterday, it closed a little over 40% above, which is a little, you know, it's not a, unheard of, but it's been unusual. And that, that's, that's just a bit, um, a bit on the high side. So it's, it's, it's far from foolproof. That happens in crashes also like last year. But um, right. generally speaking, that's an indicator that it's gone a little too far, too fast. And, and again, this is pretty quick. You know, it was uh, this only happened over a couple of days, really. Last last Friday, VIX closed. I think it closed at um, 1669. And yesterday, it closed at 2779. So actually, I understand that's 11 points. 
Yeah. So um, that, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's a big move in a few days. But I do think it's important for retail investors to kind of have that information in the back of their head for when it spikes, how to kind of react. And so I, I guess kind of really the last question is, you know, whenever the next spike is, how should an investor react? Like, should they consider hedging? Should do they, I mean, just, I don't want you to give advice, but just walk me through what their mindset should be. Yeah, I mean, I tend to like to go a little long into VIX spikes, but um, again, I would I, I would emphasize it, it works more than it doesn't, but the accidents are brutal. So you, know, you, have, you do have to have an eye for the door that, hey, maybe this is a really bad timing. So generally, I mean, I, I think you should always, um, my dad actually told me this, you know, only buy as much that that lets you buy more if it, you know, if it goes lower. Like don't, don't shoot your whole uh, buying power in one shot. So, uh, you know, buy gingerly or go long gingerly into these spikes and you know if you're wrong you know start cutting back and take your loss yeah so basically what you're saying is don't overpay for like a lifetime contract for bobby bonilla <laughs> right you might you might find you're still paying a million dollars every year until like 2050 <laughs> oh that still blows my mind to close out may Tasty Trades Jamal Chandler, a fan favorite in these parts, makes his 2021 debut. May was a roller coaster month on Wall Street, and he talks how SPACs, NFTs, cryptos, meme stocks, all these buzzy things of the year have impacted volatility spikes. Well, yes, I mentioned, you know, we're largely premium sellers at Tasty. So, I mean, honestly, the ebb and flow of volatility this year has been good. I mean, Last year, VIX was persistently stuck in the 30s after coming off, you know, those crazy highs of mm -hmm. 70 and 80 plus, right? Yes. And that makes a hard trading environment. I mean, especially after that recency bias of going to 70, everybody was expecting another big move to 50, 60 or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had the deal of the election, of course, too, like elections. I mean, there was just volatility was persistently high. This year, we've seen volatility, uh, or I should say just the VIX, for example, at 30, and we've seen it as low as like 14, 15, all within the first five months of the year. So for me, I'd say that makes a great trading environment, allows people to sell some volatility and allows you to close out you know, some trades if they work or not and move on to the next thing because vol is not so expansive that you can't you know, reach across uh, bid-ask spreads for options. So I think that's been pretty decent. But you have to exercise some caution for this year because we got some new beasts out there, Patrick. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm sure you heard of them, and, and a lot of them are are some. Sometimes they're just uh, you know letters like NFTs and oh. SPACs, right? <laughs> I mean, those are some interesting new beasts that are affecting volatility in interesting ways. And Hang on, let me go get my uh, let me go get some Excedrin for the migraine that those words cause me right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's nuts. Uh, you know those. Those who knows when the, who's going to be the first company to a uh, public company to incorporate NFTs into their balance sheet or something somehow. But when they do, you can imagine that's going to affect volatility mm -hmm. um, because nobody knows how to value it yet. So, you know, SPACs, I keep saying, like, you don't necessarily know the difference between once they go public. It's hard to tell if a company was an SPAC that went public or not because of the, the chart doesn't fundamentally change a whole lot. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to tell. 
Um, of course, we have the meme stocks, which are actually going pretty nuts today. And of course, I'm talking about you know, GME, GameStop. We're talking about AMC. Um, you know, another one I look at that doesn't have options is cost. But I mean, there's a whole bunch of them. We know the list. So, you know, talking about meme stocks, NFTs, SPACs. Fundamentally, we've seen volatility change a good bit. And if you don't think they've affected volatility, I mean, just line up a GME chart with VIX uh on the same chart and look back at february march and you'll see they were moving in tandem yeah. so um it's 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 crazy and then, and then not to mention cryptos i mean you know that's a big craze right now so how does volatility you know how does that factor into volatility particularly when you you're talking about one of the largest companies by market cap in the s p 500 and tesla that's intertwined with bitcoin right so yeah. these are interesting times